The podcast that you're about to hear contains acts of sex and violence. The hosts do not claim to be experts on the subjects that they present. Listener discretion is advised. And welcome back to Brutal Nation. I'm your host, Scott Alexander. Right across from me is the one, the only, the Sasquatch herself, Tammy. The Sasquatch Underwood. We just want to remind you to please, for every episode that you download or stream, leave us a little bit of a comment, you know. Um, give us a good review. It helps out the show. Let's, let's build up the citizens of Brutal Nation. More people need to be citizens of the Brutal Nation. Also, to make sure that y'all log on to Facebook and join citizens of Brutal Nation. Join in the chat. <coughs> oh, pardon me. Let's get right into the call with uh, call number five from Keith Jesperson. And it's the final call that we got on April 8th of 19 or 19. Jesus Christ of 2023. I can't even remember the goddamn decade. All right. Let's get into it. All right. Welcome back, Keith. All right. Well, okay. So I made it to uh, Pennsylvania, unloaded my load of lumber and went over to a steel mill and I picked up a load of stainless steel and I was headed to a a mine just north of Demings, New Mexico with this. And so I, I, I got this load on and I headed that way. And of course, while I was at that mill, there was another system driver parked there. I walked over to say hi to him. He wouldn't even talk to me, right? There's something up. There's just something in the air. I mean, they, 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 they were ignoring me. Every, every driver that I went to talk to ignored me. They didn't, they didn't want to talk. And that's not like truck drivers, right? They were told not to talk to me. I knew that. I know that now from what I'm, from where I'm sitting. I know that they were told that not to talk to me, not to engage in me. So I headed over to uh, uh, I was headed headed over to Demings, and when I got to um, El Paso, Texas, I called in and I said I was in El Paso, and I said, "Well, I'm headed." And this is like on the uh, 21st of uh, of March, and I I and I told him. So I didn't have my current bingo slips and everything like that on my on my paperwork so i needed the permit to go through nebraska new mexico and my boss says well just pay here you know get the money and pay for a permit to go through new mexico and i said listen i know how to skirt the damn thing i know how to get around the port of entry don't get me wrong i mean i'm a truck driver i know what know what's going on i know how to do that actually to get around it you go around this across a, a bridge and you go right past the lost cruces sheriff's office <laughs> so anyway, so uh, I ha- so they told me the permit. So I, I go in, I, I get to the port entry, I cross in, I go I over and park, I walk with my my paperwork, and I pay the for the permit. And as I'm leaving the scale house, the guy asked me what my name is, and I look at him. I just I have this puzzled look on my face. I look at them and what what do you mean what my name? You don't know what you don't care what my name is. Nobody cares what my name is at a scale house. All they want to do is give, pay the goddamn money for the permit. But that was it. That was when I said what my name was. They were like, he, he wrote something in his letter. I was like, what? I, I knew something was up, right? So anyway, I head towards Damien's, and there's a there's a road right before Damien's, and it goes to this mine, goes north, and I turn on, and I'm headed up there, and I'm talking to the other truckers on the radio. And they tell me there's two unmarked cop cars parked on a shoulder up there and they're just sitting there they've been there for an hour so i drive by there and go to the mine i pull up to the to the to the way to the uh, guardhouse and they uh 
I get my hard hat on and stuff like that, and they, I follow another little pickup down to where they want to unload it. They bring a loader in, and, and man, I mean, they really treat me well, man. They unload me within 20, 30 minutes after I get there. And the tarp that I have is too windy out there, so I just roll the tarp, just bunch of tarps up on the front of my deck, and I throw a couple straps over and strap them down just so they don't move. I come back on out, and uh, I come out of the mine, and there's a convenience store on the right as you come up this little road, and, and I park on the side. And if you don't understand it, if you know, you know if, if things are going around you and you really don't understand what's going on, you slow things down. That's what I do. I didn't think, you know, that the fact that he asked me my name and the fact that these cop cars are sitting there and how fast they got my load off, which normally would take me all fucking day. But I, I just slowed things down. I said, well, I'll call him in an hour. So I laid down for a while, and then I went into the convenience store and grabbed myself a, a something to drink. I sat there, and then I finally called the boss, and I said, hey, all right, I'm unloaded. Um, he said, well, head down to Demi's to the truck stop there and call me from the truck stop when you get there. So what did I do? I just, I didn't go anywhere. I waited for another hour. And then I finally decided, okay, I'm going to head down there now. It's going to slow things down, right? So I drive down there, and I can still hear on the radio these two cop cars still sitting there. So I go past the cop cars, and I'm about a half mile past them, and all of a sudden I hear another driver saying, hey, those guys are on the move now, right? So the car's pulling behind me the way back there, and, they, and before we get to the interstate, they pass me. And it's late in the afternoon now. It's not, it's not early. It's late. I pushed it back a couple hours to where now they didn't have the time to, to interview me or something, right? So I get to the truck stop. I call in. They say, well, call me in the morning. Okay, great. So in the morning, well, that night I go for a walk, and I walk down to the uh, McDonald's down in, in Deming's, and I notice this red Bronco following me. Every time I turn around, this red Bronco is sitting there. Now, in the morning, uh, I roll up my tarps, and I get everything all you know, all buttoned up the way they should be, and I try to get my truck washed, and the truck wash is broken. They won't, let, won't wash trucks. I go in to use the shower because I'm dirty, and they don't. And the showers, are, you know, they're, they're, everything's closed. They don't let me use the shower. When I call in, they say, "Well, you need to be at the fairgrounds in, in Las Cruces at noon their time." And they give me a name of this guy to, to see, and I said, "Well, that's a cop," because I read True, True Detective magazines. I've read this name before. <laughs> wow. And I said, Jesus. that's a cop. That's a, that's a detective for Las Cruces, New Mexico. And he said, and they argued with me that it isn't a cop. And they were kind of, there's a pause. They're like, how the fuck would I know, right? <laughs> and so, yeah. Wow. So I get to, I, I, I drive past, and I told them, I said, there's nothing at the fairgrounds because I drove by, and, I, and I, like I, I can always tell you, that I always look around, see? And at fairgrounds, there was nothing going on. There's nothing. The only thing that was going on was, they're installing a sprinkler system in the front lawn of the of the of the fairground, and so I went to a small truck stop on the other side of the, on the, on the uh, east side of, of the fairground, and I parked there. I looked across the highway at that exit, and there's a sheriff parked on the other side, sitting there. And then I clean out my truck and I take the garbage, and I and I don't walk to a garbage can. I go underneath my trailer to another garbage can and throw all the stuff away, which included a lot of stuff that was Julie, right? 
Ah, right. Yeah, yeah. And I got rid of this stuff. And then I came back and I got in the truck. Now, I, I went to the fairgrounds when I pulled in there and I parked. Right behind me pulls in this red Bronco. And he want, he steps out and he's got, and he, he has copper written all over him because his arms are swinging out wide because he, he used to wear a damn uh, utility belt with a gun on it or something like that. So he has copper. Now he gets up there and he says, you think you can pull down that one lane? Yeah, I can. I said, so I pull down this lane and then we stopped and I get out and he gets out and I get out. We walk in behind this little concert hut and we come around the corner and there's six or eight cops with their guns drawn pointed at me. He's up against wall, asshole. You know, and I'm going like, yeah. And he just goes like, you're wanted on an ongoing in, uh, uh, murder investigation, right? And I'm yeah. thinking to myself, which and I'm thinking to myself, which one? Right. <laughs> That's what I figured. Yeah. I'm like, like, which one are we talking uh, here? One Pick one. Thinking? And I'm like waiting for the, you know, the, the, the big thing. I said, are you willing to talk to us? And they read me my rights and all that kind of stuff. Well, all I could think about is getting away from them. So I figured that if I just agreed to everything, to go ahead and talk to them, that, that eventually they're going to have to let me go if I keep denying it. So they, they bring me into custody. They take me down to Las Cruces Sheriff's Office, and I sit there for six hours. And then they they uh, they finally have to cut me loose because I agree. I, I, I tell them I didn't do anything. I don't know what you're talking about. I didn't kill Julie. I mean, maybe one of their drug addicts' friends did or something along those lines. And when they finally let me go, six hours later, after they've taken blood and hair and all that kind of shit, and uh, they're going to let me go. So I get out in the truck, and they hand me the affidavit that they're there on. And, you know, if they just handed me the affidavit to start with, I probably would have confessed to the crime because everyone was pointing at me, and I would probably would have said, oh, yeah, you got me. But because I was able to deny it all that time and hold my ground... Uh, they they wanted to play this bad cop, good cop, and all this other crap, and I think that was the wrong way to go about it because all the evidence was right there where I could read it, and I knew that they had me from what I what I read in the affidavit. But they didn't hand it to me until they let me go, and then I went down to a truck stop, and all I could think about was killing myself to get away from this, and that's why I wrote I wrote that note to my brother Brad saying I killed eight people in the last five years that was a suicide note i took like 72 over-the-counter sleeping pills figured i was going to be dead and all it did is give me a sore throat in the morning right right and then okay. I, and then i then i called my boss and they gave me a load out of phoenix i was supposed to go get and i drove i drove west on and i got up here towards wilcox and i decided to try it again and that's when I decided on the 24th of March of, of 95 to call up the detectives and turn myself in because I figured I'd let the legal system kill me. And that's right. how I got arrested. I actually called the detectives and said, come and get me. Wow. And so Will Cox, sheriff, came over and I walked right up to him. They handcuffed me and took me back to the jail. And then the following morning, I was in Bisbee at the, uh, at the county jail in Bisbee, Arizona. And a few days later, they uh, put me on a plane, flew me back to Portland, and then they they put me in a car over to Clark County, and that's when I called my brother. Just, I had a lot of time to think about that note I'd sent to my brother, and I said, you need to get rid of that. When I got him on the phone, I said, you need to get rid of it. And little, I didn't realize they were monitoring the phone. Of course they were. 
and I told him to get rid of me. He said, go flush it. He didn't flush it. He handed it to my, my dad, and my dad handed it to the cops. Wow. That's how the note, that's how they they connected the, the dot with uh, the happy face letter because of the handwriting on my suicide note. Had that suicide not been written, I probably would have went to prison for one murder, and uh, they probably would never have got me on any of the others. Right, right, right. And that would be, and I would have been um, sent back to Canada after I got my time down here. Yep, got deported. I would have been deported, which is kind of the interesting part. But there's a lot to that case, but there's, generally speaking, that's the basis behind that. Yes, I, I tried suicide a couple times. It didn't work. Right. I turned myself in, and uh, the rest is history, right? So now, had here's I, a question. Had I been successful in suicide, Laverne and John would never have gotten out of prison. This is something that just crossed my mind. Do you think that maybe throughout your life as a whole that you may have suffered from, like, depression? Well, I was depressed over the fact that I, I wasn't around my kids. Okay. All right. I was upset that every time I, I moved close to be my with my kids, my wife would move to somewhere else where I was away from them. Because, like, you clinical know, she depression... Packed, she packed up the kids and, moved, and, and left me. I didn't leave them. Right, right, right. Because clinical depression isn't just being sad. It's There's there's a lot of contributing factors to it. I was just kind of just just kind of thinking about the case as a, as a whole. That just kind of crossed my mind. That's all. Well, it's just the way it, it seems to work out, you know. And, and then in, in my afterthought, my 2020 hindsight, looking back, had I... Had I not tried to, had I not turned myself in, had picked up that load in Arizona, made it back up to Spokane, got in my car and drove north, we wouldn't have this conversation. That's right. true. I would have been up there, and I would never have been convicted of any crime unless I might have been convicted of the Julie Winningham murder in censure. In other words, I would not have been there at the trial. I would have been in uh, in another country, but that's been the the. And would I have continued being a murderer up there? No, probably not, because I was caught. And I right. knew I was caught. Right, and historically Canada doesn't, uh, you know, extradite people that uh, that are facing the death penalty. We found that, that. out with uh, Charles Cheetah Ng, and uh, yeah. there was a couple of other ones that we that we had. Um, oh, oh, the, uh, well, God, the dude who owned the, the thrift store that we did. Um the dude who owned the thrift. He committed suicide in, in Canada. That's why he flew to Canada. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, uh, Herb. Yeah. Bowmeister. Yeah, Herb Bowmeister uh, fled up to Canada, too, because it uh, doesn't matter if you're uh, a citizen of Canada or not. If you make it up there, even if you're arrested on another crime, they're not going to extradite you when the death penalty is on the table. Yep. Yeah. Well, being a Canadian citizen, I would have been able to do that. But I, I, my problem is that I have a lot of family up there in law enforcement. And I could just imagine that my uncle would have arranged the fact that I would have been kidnapped, basically, taken to the border and pushed across into the waiting arms of the FBI down there. <laughs> Jesus <laughs> Probably Christ. would have been done under the under the cover of darkness and nobody would knew who was yet. Well, you know. <laughs> there yeah. is that backwards justice. <laughs> hey, hey. Don't make fun. What time right? is it? It is a 1019 right now. Yeah. I got to go. Okay. All right, buddy. We'll talk to you later. Good talking. Bye-bye. All right. Bye. 
All right, remember, you can send us an email at BrutalNation at TwistedBlueLLC.com. Check us out on Medium, Crime Beat on Medium, and wherever you get your blogs. Uh, what else? Log on to Facebook and join Citizens of Brutal Nation. Engage us in the chat. Let's talk about these serial killers and other acts of crime. I mean, I'm open to, you know, we're open to any kind of a subject that you want to throw in there, provided, you know, pertains to the, you know, true crime or serial killers. This show's copyright 2023 by Twisted Blue LLC. All rights are reserved. We'll catch you guys later. Bye bye.